You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now, it is truly a miracle when you examine the Prophet's life within such a short period of time, in a period of 23 years, how this man transformed that society and left an everlasting impact on humanity. This great man, however, the greatest man God has ever created, historically has been oppressed until this very day. By who? Who are the ones who have most oppressed the Prophet? Is it the non-Muslims? Is it the Christians, the Jews, the Hindus, the Burmese? Who is it? The Muslims. The Muslims are the most people who have committed acts of injustice against the name of the Holy Prophet And this is not something recent that we see in our modern time. This existed right after the Prophet, even in his own life, yes, but especially after his life. Those rulers who came after the Prophet, especially the Umayyad dynasty. You know, when we talk about Islamophobia and these attacks on the religion of Islam and the name of the Prophet, the Umayyads started it, not these Western countries. Long before there was a West and there was Western civilization, it was so-called Muslims who defamed the Prophet, who had a problem with the name of Muhammad. Muawiyah, Yazid his son, they had a problem with the name of the Prophet. They did not even believe in the message of the Prophet. You know Yazid in that incident where he was in the presence of Lady Zainab alayha, what did he read, what did he say? when he was seeing the head of Imam al-Hussein and he was striking it you know, with a stick. What did he say? He revealed the true intentions of the Bani Umayyah. <laughs> I wish my ancestors at Badr. Who are his ancestors at Badr? The Mushrikeen, the leaders of the pagans. Because at Badr, the Mushrikeen were defeated the pagans and the Muslims gained victory. So he's like, I wish my ancestors who got defeated at Badr, the battle of Badr during the Prophet's time, I wish they were here today to see how I took revenge from the family of the Prophet. This is a man who has respect for the Prophet, who says these lines and then what does he say? لَعِبَتْ هَاشِمُ بِالْمُلْكِ فَلَا خَبَرٌ جَاءَ وَلَا وَحْيٌ نَزَلٌ Hashim is the grandfather of the Prophet. Bani Hashim is the family of the Prophet. He's like the family of the Prophet, they played around. They wanted kingdom and power. There was no revelation, it's all a game. Who's saying this? Yazid son of Muawiyah, who at the time, in the eyes of many simple Muslims, he was the Khalifa of the Prophet. So we see there was an active effort after the Prophet to defame him and when we examine the biography of the Prophet we have to be aware of this tragic event that happened after the Prophet. Until today, until today in our Muslim books from other schools of thought 
we see traces of that defamation. Look at our hadith books from other schools of thought. Books like Bukhari even, yes, which is considered the most authentic source for other schools of thought. You'd be shocked at what you would find in some of these books of history, books of seerah, books of biography, books of hadith. You know they start when the Prophet was young and they tell you the story how his heart was taken out by a devil. He was possessed. Sometimes he would have his wife Aisha ride on his back so she can go and see a game, a match. This is the greatest messenger of God. Imagine him coming out, carrying his wife, you know, on his back, carrying her like a baby and she's watching a match. Who does this? These were efforts to defame the Prophet. You have hadiths, you know, in these hadith books that say the Prophet would stand in a public area and he would, God forbid, urinate. This is not the Prophet that we follow. But this is what Bani Umayyah did to defame the Prophet. That he was under a spell. There's a hadith in Bukhari that someone successfully put a spell on the Prophet under the spell of the magic. And you have a number of such traditions. So we know that we have a problem when it comes to the history of the Prophet. We have some hadiths, you know, in these books that say the Prophet forgot some verses in Surah Al-Najm and he added his own verse because the shaitan fooled him. Instead of thinking that this is Jibra'il giving me the revelation, uh, instead of knowing that shaitan, you know, was giving him the revelation, he thought it was Jibra'il. And so he added a verse in the Quran, then Jibra'il came down, he rebuked him and he had to apologize. What kind of a prophet is this? And these hadiths still exist in our books. Is this respect for the Holy Prophet Or when you look at some historical events like the issue of Bani Quraidah, that the Prophet massacred 950 Jews. Is this accurate or no? Yes, sister? But then in Surah Najm itself, in the second and the third ayat, it says that he doesn't speak unless... That same Surah and Najm tells us, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ Anything the Prophet says is revelation from Allah. Yet you still find such hadiths in books. So the first group that oppressed the Prophet in history was who? Muslims who claimed to be followers of the Prophet. And this is the tragedy that we have. Now why did Bani Umayyah and some of these people defame the Prophet in this way? What was their reason? Did they have an agenda? There were several reasons. So that's not true that he killed Jews? No, we will examine this in his biography. We will examine the issue, the massacre of Bani Quraidah in depth. And it's a historical fabrication that the Prophet killed 950 Jews. And we'll examine the proofs, why this is wrong. So the biography that we have today is not the real biography of the Prophet. We need to analyze it. We need to intellectually dissect the Prophet's life and see what is found in some of these books. Is this accurate or is this a misrepresentation of the Prophet's life? So the book Salman Rushdie wrote is about those... Satanic Verses. Yeah. Yes, that's the title of his book. So he, he's what he mentions in some of the things that he... It's a devious book by the way. But some of the things that he mentions in that book, they're found in Muslim books. And that's the problem. They are. Yes, they're found in Muslim books. 
And as Muslims, as true followers of the Holy Prophet, we have to purify his biography from this nonsense, from this defamation. So what was the agenda of Bani Umayyah? Why did they forge such fabrications and such hadiths? Because of the Badr. There were a number of reasons. Number one, you will find that Yazid and Muawiyah, they harbored this resentment towards the Prophet uh, because the Prophet he brought this religion and many of their forefathers were killed, you know, at Badr and some of these other events. So they realized that in Mecca we had power as pagans, we controlled society. Now this man came and he changed the social fabric and he brought this new religion and there's, new, there's a new power structure. So they had this resentment towards the Prophet. That's number one. Number two, they wanted to justify their own position. Because if the Prophet is clearly infallible and he never makes a mistake and you're sitting in his seat representing the Prophet, people will tell you, wait a minute, you Yazid, you Muawiyah, you other Caliphs, you're making all these mistakes, you're coming with all these sins. How are you qualified to represent the Prophet? What was their justification? The Prophet himself used to make mistakes sometimes. So if my Prophet makes mistakes, I can make mistakes, I can sit in his seat and represent him. It was an effort to justify their own wrong. Yes? Sayyid, when they mention these, they do point out that before Islam, even though it's, it's, it's known that he was like infallible, they would try to authenticate or say that he did things like drink wine or things that we know that he wouldn't do. And, and these are efforts to justify them because see, What's special about Imam Ali when it comes to the Caliphs? Imam Ali was the only one, from day one he never committed any vice. All the others were pagans, they worshipped the idols, they would drink, they would do all these vices. So when you would tell them that, they're like, well the Prophet, the same thing, before his ba'tha, before he became officially a messenger, he would do these things. See, it's all an effort to justify their wrong and to make themselves qualified. They're like, if the Prophet whom God chose had such a history, we can have a similar history. So it was really an effort to justify their own wrong. The Bani Umayyah, one reason why they forged these, you know, uh, uh, fake hadiths about the Prophet, and they would pay some companions to forge them, is to justify their own position. Abu Huraira, for example, um, he was definitely employed by the governments of his time to fabricate some hadiths. Another reason that we find here, and this is a very important reason and this is a common theme when it comes to all of our sciences, science of hadith, science of Islamic law. After the Holy Prophet those who came to power, they imposed a ban on the recording of the hadith for about 100 years, until the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, there was a ban on recording the hadith. No one was allowed to record the hadith. In fact, they would punish the one who would write the hadith and document it. The first and second caliphs after the Prophet, according to Sunni sources, they gathered the hadith of the Prophet and they burned it. Why? For what purpose? Their excuse their justification 
was that we don't want people to be busy with hadith and forget the Qur'an and confuse the two. Let people focus on the Qur'an, so let's prevent and prohibit the people from recording the hadith. That was their excuse. Now for a hundred years you had a gap, nothing was really being recorded except some personal, individual, minor efforts. Now those people who came later to document the Prophet's life, to write his biography, they had no sources. They could only depend on what? On oral transmissions. The first book of Seerah that we have by Ibn Ishaq, we'll discuss that shortly, came about 80 years after the Prophet. 80 years. The first books of Seerah really came about 80 years after the Prophet. What happened in these 80 years? They had no concrete hadiths to refer to, historical evidence. You would go and just ask people, you know, the progeny of the Sahaba, the children of the Sahaba. You know, what did you hear from your parents? It was all orally transmitted. And that's, that opened the door for all these fabrications because when you don't have something documented on paper, you could easily change it, give it a different version, right? With oral transmission, you have a lot of changes. Have you ever heard of Chinese whispers? Mm -hmm. Right? Or they call it the game of telephone here. You know, in, in one room, even if you're, you don't want to just play, you really want to be accurate. And this happens to you. You say something to your friend, your friend says it to someone else. When it comes back to you, you're like, oh my God, you know, you've got, you guys changed what I said to you. That's not what I said. Well, imagine in 80 years, you're relying on oral transmission. How many changes happened to that? And this created a challenge for those who tried to write the biography of the Prophet. Because you didn't have anything that was written or documented. So these were some reasons why until today we have fabrications in the life of the Prophet and the biography of the Prophet. Bani Umayyah and their evil agenda. And number two, you had a gap. With this ban on the hadith, which lasted for a century. After a century was this ban lifted and the people finally were able to write the hadiths. But after a century, imagine how much you lost, how many details you lost. So that tells us that those early works on biography, there's automatically an issue with them. We can't take them you know, at face value and accept everything in them. We have to examine them, analyze them. Yes, sister. There was a historical rivalry between yeah, them, yes. Yes, absolutely. In Arabian society, the Bani Umayyah and Bani Hashim, they were cousins. And there's a long story to it how the rivalry started, but the Bani Hashim were, were always just and upright. Bani Umayyah, because of their jealousy, because Bani Hashim, the family of the Prophet, they had a very high social status in Mecca. The Bani Umayyah despised them for that. Could we say that uh, this uh, despise was... A yes, the jealousy, yes, the absolutely. Generation. It was passed down, this was one factor, definitely. Uh, it was the jealousy from the Ahlul Bayt, from the Prophet, from Imam Ali alayhi salam. You know, one of the main reasons why many of those companions did not accept the leadership of Imam Ali was this jealousy. 
So yes, it was passed down from generation to another, and then you had these different factors that we also mentioned. So we see that we have these challenges when it came uh, to the life of the Prophet and the biography. At the same time, during these decades, that 100 years, you had the influence of other religions. For example, you had the Jewish influence, Ka'b al-Ahbar. Ka'b al-Ahbar was originally a Jewish man who had a lot of you know, knowledge of the Bible, of the, of the Old Testament, and he would spread his own hadiths, his own stories. And interestingly, while the average Muslim was banned from recording and discussing the hadith, Ka'b al-Ahbar had his freedom. Especially the second Khalifa, he gave him so much freedom to you know, spread his stories and to spread his ideas in Muslim society. This had a very negative impact on how Muslims came to see the Holy Prophet Abdullah ibn Salam was another man of Jewish origins who would spread hadiths that would actually defame the Prophets of God and including the Holy Prophet Muhammad And you find these hadiths until today you find them in our books. Could you repeat the names please? Ka'b al-Ahbar and Abdullah ibn Salam are just two examples. They were given the freedom to disseminate their views and spread their teachings. Thank you. So when you ban the hadith and these people have their freedom and Bani Umayyah are working on their own agenda, what do you expect really? Do you expect such a pure seerah and biography of the Holy Prophet and hence, honestly, until this very day, we don't have an accurate biography of the Prophet. We don't. Something that is so comprehensive and accurate that we can fully trust, we don't have because of these circumstances.